welcome to today's episode of The Square. We're going to be talking about the Curiosity Report 2021, and I am really excited to be joined by Samantha Flores, Director of Hugo, and Tanya White, uh, Design Researcher with Hugo, to talk a little bit about what this new report holds. Thank you guys for being here. Yeah, we're sure. so excited. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about, it's been a year since we did the Curiosity Report, the first one. What have we learned over the last year? What is what are things that kind of stand out to you over the last year? <laughs> we learned a lot over the last year. I mean, one of the biggest things we learned is it doesn't really take a generation for transition or revolution anymore. Yeah. It takes a couple of days or a couple of months. And so you really can't hold on to any ideas or any you know technologies or any behaviors too long because they're going to change really quickly. About the time you would start probably writing an article on something <laughs> and get it ready to be published, it had already evolved into something right, new. Right, right. Yeah. So is there any technology you felt like was this surprised you maybe overperforming or underperforming? You know, we talked a lot about uh, collaborative design tools or collaborative virtual digital hybrid spaces mm -hmm. um, in the first Curiosity Report, a, a lot about AR and VR. And man, I feel like that's been mm -hmm. so helpful during this time, you know, collaborating and getting together, connecting together with people has just been so incredible. I think all of those tools have moved forward quite a bit, obviously. So, you know, the Curiosity Report was actually, it wasn't released until last March, which is kind of when everything happened with COVID. But so much of the, the research that was going into it was pre-COVID. So I would imagine there's a lot of things that um, I've heard you say specifically, Sam, that COVID was a catalyst for a lot of technologies, not necessarily something that introduced a bunch of new technologies. So mm -hmm. how has that change happened over the last year? Yeah, I mean, we've definitely seen a lot of things accelerate, not only um, technologies, but human behaviors. I mean, mm -hmm. we talked a lot about user adoption and how it's, you know, it's imperative that you understand your user adoption when you're talking about emerging technologies or how the users are going to use it or, mm -hmm. you know, at what rate that they're going to start using it at. But we saw a lot of different technologies just accelerate significantly because users were adopting it over this time in order to stay connected or to yeah. stay safe, say, stay socially distanced. Yeah. I think one thing that's really interesting Let's see, in last year we daylighted artificial intelligence as mm -hmm. a suite of technologies that um, are infiltrating our world. Um, but an AI was actually the first to uh, find COVID in Wuhan about 10 days before the World Health Organization. Really? Yeah, um, announced it to the world. And we just think now, like, we've become so much more comfortable with technology if covid hit now would we have listened to something like an ai that company is called blue dot and they basically build algorithms to to track diseases it's it's crazy i think i've certainly read a lot more about ai over the last year and i don't i don't think i understood a quite how much it was already used in things that I use day to day and also the innovative ways. There was a project we were working on and um, it's a website where you can upload footage that usually takes hours and hours and hours to green screen for a project. And it did it in a couple of minutes and it, it wasn't quite as good, but it gets you like 90% of the way there. And it was using AI technology, which yeah. was crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we learned over putting this new report together, you know, we read a lot of books and I think Tanya and I both love buying the physical <laughs> books yeah. still. Um, yeah. But for me, I love to also listen to audiobooks because I can 
you know, exercise and I can cook and I can clean yeah. while I listen to them. And if I have a physical book, I can't do all those things. But there are apps that came out over 2020 um, or just recently that will literally you take a picture of the page and it automatically turns it into audible text that you can listen to. You're and it's just it, it's yeah. so great because now in all of my books, I don't have to mark them up and yeah. highlight and make my notes. And then I just take, type it up in a Word and then doc type and share it up. with the Hugo yeah. team. <laughs> yeah, no, I literally can take a picture, write my text edits, send it to the team yeah. through Microsoft Teams, and it's it's there, and it's so easy to use and transfer yeah. that data. That's awesome. One other technology yeah. while we're here is not necessarily quantum computing, but just the general need for data. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing, like, how much we're online now and you know hopefully once we can gather in person that we will do that again but there'll always be that element of like the hybrid option to yeah. kind of chime in through the zoom or the zoom, the zoom. Um, <laughs> but um quantum computing would accelerate how fast things can be computed and would make things like I don't know, holograms much faster. Um, yeah. So things that seem like science fiction are really not because we need them now. Now we're like, oh, okay. It's crazy. You know, there was, uh, I know there's a lot of sectors of architecture that have been hard hit by COVID, but it seemed like data centers just exploded. I mean, it was already on a, you know, progressive track, but it just exploded with COVID. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, just thinking back to, you know, talking about AI and different innovations and mm -hmm. um, thinking about AI personas, you know, that th those have been already developed and are being developed. Mm -hmm. And once that becomes part of our daily routine, you know, would you be able to send your AI persona to a meeting instead of going to a meeting to take notes on a checklist? Yeah. You know, maybe, um, maybe. And that's that's pure that's becoming possible. So wow. it's really exciting to see these events. Well, I think that's a good transition to, I know the theme of Curiosity Report 2021 is perspectives. And one of the things that's right up front is bias. And I had no idea there were so many different kinds of bias. You know, I'm familiar with like unintentional bias and a few others, mm -hmm. but but there were a ton. And the, and the ones we listed are just a sample of the types, um, but we talked about things like confirmation bias. So you're more likely to turn towards supporting evidence that supports your own viewpoint mm -hmm. or kind of worldview. Um, it's too bad like we didn't <laughs> see that in any way amplified <laughs> the last year. <laughs> um, yeah, of course. There's actually a fantastic news source that we came across called Ground News mm -hmm. that um, basically tells you more about the echo chamber that you live in when it comes to how you consume news. So it will feature a news headline and then it will tell you uh, what news platforms it was featured on. Yes, and if they that. leaned left or right, it will tell you, hey, if you tend to lean liberal, this story is a blind spot for you because they're not covering it. Um, and that was developed by, I believe, a NASA engineer, and she just saw an opportunity and developed this um, platform. But yeah, there's tons of tons of bias, and it's it's usually self-serving. It's usually your brain going, "I'm just trying to confirm my own mm. everything." And it's rarely trying to look at it from someone no, else's point of no, view. No, it's not. Well, it's really a survival mechanism. So that might kind of lead right in. But I'm curious, like, why is it so crucial that we understand our biases? 
Well, when you think about being an expert in any field, there's a point where you become so expert in your field that you kind of know everything there is to know and mm. you stop trying to innovate outside of your bubble or you think, well, these are the problems I'm going to come up against. These are the roadblocks. So I'm just going to avoid those and move around them and, mm. and, and answer the question the way that I might have always done it. And that's the problem is the business as usual or this is the way that we've always done it. So when you start to look outside and start to gain other perspectives, you start to understand where that unintentional bias is. And that means asking mm -hmm. people in different communities about their use of the, the spaces that you design or the technology that you design. There's a lot of unintentional bias built into technology that we're just now uncovering because we're realizing these data gaps exist. You, you in a different conversations, you gave me an example of that with VR. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this was a rabbit hole I went down, but it was just so interesting that, so male and female retinas are are extremely different from each other. Right. Um, we have more hormones <laughs> on our retinas than any other part of our body except for one. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> and, um, the weird thing is, is that so male retinas are thicker. Right. Um, so they actually see um, virtual reality through uh, motion parallax. Mm -hmm. And then women's retinas actually they they change blood levels really easily and so we perceive virtual reality sh through shape form shading and so because of that vr mm. is actually a lot of the goggles are designed for, for the male retinas eyes. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah okay. and also the interpopillary distances yeah. are for men yeah. and so that's why women get motion sickness a lot huh. easier in vr than men mm -hmm. and when we're creating digital tools like that and using them as a part of our design process right it's automatically creating a certain bias towards you know one or the other and it's even worse for the transsexual community. So one of the other themes that I saw throughout the Curiosity Report was the theme of, of decentralization and democratization. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, well, with decentralization, obviously that's taking, you know, specific entities and redistributing them at smaller um, frequencies, mesh networks, things like that. Um, but when we think about democratization, that's really giving access to a lot of people. So when we're talking about decentralization and democratization, we can think about that through food mm -hmm. networks, mm. you know, taking, you know, agricultural landscapes and redistributing them into our urban areas that have food deserts, for instance, yeah. in smaller pockets so that people have access to quality mm -hmm. food at lower cost because it doesn't take that long to transport to them. And that's a great example of, you know, democratizing that access. So just out of curiosity, just in the last week, we had the huge snowstorm that hit Texas. I was going to bring that up. Is that, is, <laughs> is, is that something where with the power grid, that would be an applied technology? Yeah. So another um, kind of learn from last year's report was uh, one of the technologies was distributed ledger technology, right. which also taps into this larger theme of things becoming more distributed and bypassing that third party. Um, usually by doing that, you reduce like a cost or you gain some sort of efficiency and microgrids mm -hmm. are a form of that. So um, when you are a solar power producer at a, your residence, you are what's called a prosumer, a producer and a consumer. Got it. And a microgrid is basically a bunch of prosumers coming together and saying, well, we don't need to sell our energy back to the grid at, you know, quite a fee. Yeah. We can just administer that 
um, amongst ourselves and create what's called a microgrid. Mm -hmm. um, not that that's the future for Texas or we don't know what that recommendation <laughs> sure, is, but sure, it's a sure. trend that you're seeing um, and is very relevant to architecture that if these large typologies that we build can create and produce and hold their own energy, that becomes a very different system. So I want to pick your brain a little bit on a couple of the specific articles that were in the Curiosity Report. So in Tyranny of Screens, you mentioned that for hundreds of years, we've really allowed um, technology to kind of dictate the design of spaces, mm. particularly in the recent history with screens um, and in the layout. Give me some examples of that. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, the radio was really the first technology mm -hmm. or the first one that we talk about you know, that kind of dictates the way that you interact with space. Right. Um, because once radio came to the home, you know, people would set it up in their living room and they would all sit around that radio to listen to the news. Mm -hmm. And then when it became TV, um, people would watch the TV. So they create this, you know, um, front forward facing yeah. <laughs> um, type of, you know, interaction. And what happens is that screen starts to dictate the way we lay out our space. So that technology is really, you know, dictating our interior design. And so you can think about it whenever you're setting up your home, mm -hmm. you think, where am I going to put the couch? Because it needs to be facing the TV. Yeah, absolutely. But once mm -hmm. we start to de dematerialize those screens and start to in, use AI and use other different types of technologies and move those into our day-to-day -day systems, we no longer need a physical space for a screen. Mm -hmm. And we can recreate those storytelling conversations in a more natural position. Yeah. And I think you see it you know, at the home, but you then see it in the school, in the classroom, right? Where the chalkboard was that center focal piece. And now they were like, well, we'll just put the screen there because that's where the yeah, chalkboard used yeah. to be. You see it in the office. Or the digital whiteboard. Yeah, or the whatever. digital whiteboard, yeah. whatever. You see it in the office. That's where I've personally felt it the most is this friction of when I'm in the office, but I have a phone call with a client and I'm in another room, in that room with maybe a teammate. And if I go to walk up to start writing something on a whiteboard, all of a sudden I've left the purview of the screen mm -hmm. and now the client can't see me. And I'm like, okay, I'm trying to interact with so many different mediums. It's very, you know, tyrannical. But, but, <laughs> well, but what, I mean, then, okay, how do you break out of the status quo? Because, you know, there's, there, it, I think it has had that influence for a reason, right? So how do we break away from that? Or can we break away from that? Or is that something technology as it advances mm. and we use AR and whatnot that is decentralized from its normal place in the room? Does that change how we, how we lay out rooms? So I think that there are a lot of different social structures that are already built into our space that you know, enable the design of the, mm -hmm. the space. The screen really takes you out of conversation, out of natural conversation. So that's what we were looking at is how do we dematerialize that screen and bring the conversation back to this, you know, this natural circle. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of different technologies that are helping or that are moving in that direction. Um, certainly, you know, meeting, little meeting robots like Temi or Meeting Owl, mm -hmm. things like that are helping to move the conversation back into the circle and actually move that digital person or the hybrid person that's calling in back into the conversation because what we've realized is that sometimes if you're calling into a conference room and everybody's there in person yep. you know you're the one that can't get your voice through because it's unnatural for people to look yeah. up just like you were saying some of our teammates have also um, shared some research around 
uh, like social accountability when robots are in the room. So um, if I'm maybe more introverted and don't um, voluntarily participate in conversation as much, um, they've done studies where if there is a um, a workplace assisted robot mm-hmm. video camera thing in the middle, that it actually hold like Euro might be like, oh, someone's basically so I'm gonna make sure I make space for the person you know because an introvert oh excuse me doesn't necessarily not have things to say they're just not saying them you know we we were just doing a um, a virtual furniture demo in um, California last week and that was one of the things that we this was a, we're, we're, we're always trying to evolve our practice and that was one of the things we had talked about is if we'd had a big screen you know, that was representative and had the people that were coming in virtually mm. to be able to interact with the people that were in the room, mm-hmm. it would give that space and that, that weight and that presence to mm-hmm. the people that have a virtual presence. So yeah. it's interesting to hear you say that. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing about the the robots is that pulls the person who's calling in mm. into the circle of the conversation. In a physical way. In a physical way. Right. What's the other challenge with the tyranny of the screen is that even if you have that at this point, we're still presenting to the screen, right? We're still doing our slide decks on the screen. And what we need for technology to do, and and it is advancing at this point, is bringing that into the circle as well. So, you know, we're seeing advances in haptic holograms um, that are created with ultrasound so that when you touch- Explain, sorry to interrupt, explain a little bit what a haptic hologram is. Yeah, so when you, um, so basically it's light projected onto a moving dust particle. Mm -hmm. And when you actually project that light, it's also um, emitting ultrasound sound that you can't hear maybe your dog can so probably don't (laughs) use that at home Um, but because of the ultrasound when you touch that haptic hologram even though it's just light you're feeling you're feeling something and so what we've seen with the University of Sussex and the research that they're doing Mm -hmm. there with haptic holograms they're actually able to call in their virtual participants and have them sitting in a chair next to you right now it's really grainy but they're still working on it and I think that that will also be the next step in you know, dematerializing that screen and democratizing access to conversation because when you are on the screen and everybody else is around the table, absolutely, you have some sort of yeah. you know <clears throat> left There's out a of barrier. This. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Speaking of of bias and even unintentional bias, the article on Microsoft's inclusive design toolkit. I, I was super fascinated on two things. One the ability framework so the idea of situational ability shifts temporary and then permanent ability shifts mm-hmm. as well as um how they how we have kind of in the past just had a lack of design in that area tell me about why those those three categories of ability shifts are different yeah um just shout out to the Microsoft Inclusive Design Toolkit. It's an awesome resource that um, started from their digital practice, but they've shared it and made it public with the world, and it has some really insightful information. They've continued to update it. Um, Most recently, they published some information about um, bias and inclusivity in AI, so they are kind of continuing to revisit, and I think that is um, the best that anyone can do when you're trying to be more inclusive is just commit to you know, learning and, mm-hmm. and that, Being you know, aware. you might've thought you had it then and you yeah. have to continue to revisit it and evolve it. Um, to the ability framework, um, that is something that really surfaced during a design research study that we were doing with a client in healthcare. 
And we kept hearing, and this wasn't a provoked question, this, these were just being brought up to us by users, that you know, when you're going to the doctor's office, there's a good chance you're not feeling well or you're in post-recovery, mm-hmm. otherwise you probably wouldn't be going to the doctors. And right. so we kept hearing over and over, oh, you know, um, I broke my foot, it was in a boot, I'm walking up to the door, but I, I know it's automatic and I have to push the button, but I, this is all new for me because this is temporary. Right. I don't know if the door is going to open up to like Hit out to me. I yeah. don't know if it's going to go out. All of a sudden it's moving out to me. I'm stumbling, almost falling backwards. Or maybe you, um, this would probably be more situational, but you are pushing a wheelchair. Like let's say you're taking a guardian, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to the doctor's office. Um, so yeah, there's just these really interesting ways, you know, even if you're on a, on a job site, on a construction site, um, and there's a lot of work going on, you would be temporarily hearing disabled because you can't hear very well. The same way a bartender at a bar can't hear you very well. Well, when we used to go to bars <laughs> and it was really loud, right? Yeah. So just thinking of it in that, as opposed to it being so binary where it's like, you're either physically disabled or you're completely fully abled. It is much more of a spectrum. Wow. So last but not least, because I like to geek out about space, the Mars task analysis, um, which I, I think there's some really interesting things that I'd love for you to touch on. But I, I have a, I, I kept thinking about this question, which is why Mars versus the moon? Like I get that Mars is way more difficult, so it's more of a challenge. Um, but it feels like so much of what you hear about is about how we're going to get to Mars when we still haven't, you know, established any kind of a colony or anything on the moon. Well, we can both tackle this one because we love (laughs) Mars and anything space related. Um, I would say the moon is essentially being viewed as the pit stop. Got it. And then the long game is kind of Mars and interstellar travel. If you listen to things that Elon Musk has said, or even um, I believe his name is pronounced Michio Kaku. He's a physicist at Harvard. Mm -hmm. One of the... um, kind of rationales for going to Mars is you reduce our um, rate of extinction Hmm. if you have two colony outposts. So the likelihood of Earth getting hit by an asteroid or having some sort of catastrophic event is quite high. But when you duplicate it on another planet, all of a sudden it just sinks dramatically. Um, We'll say that we are also looking at, you know, yes, Mars and the moon are all fun, but we also have a planet on Earth that we yeah. really need to. We don't want to repeat the same mistakes that yeah. maybe we're. Um, You're not being, just trashing it and moving yeah, to a new we're like, one. Yeah, like next. <laughs> um, and then in terms of the Mars task analysis, well, we spoke with an anthropologist who has been contracted through NASA for years. He's run some of the longest-standing human behavior studies. Um, on astronauts because those are really the only people who've gone into space and he was recently recruited by NASA to examine Mars so there are these very sexy images of the colony on Mars and we're there but there's a lot in between (laughs) from literally when when it lands and you have to get out and you've atrophied and you need robotic assistance and you never see those images which is why we had fun with the image you see in the report which is it's like yeah we're here and we're standing it's like it's probably not going to look like that um (laughs) it's what we all think that's the ideal (laughs) but it's probably not 
And, you know, we are always fascinated with Mars and it, you know, perseverance just happened. So that's really yeah. exciting. Um, but we do know that there are other steps to space colonization or space travel or even space tourism. We, mm -hmm. you know, space jumps mm -hmm. have had <laughs> their heyday and they're yeah. really, you know, fun or they look fun. I don't know. They kind of look scary. <laughs> she was um, there last week. But we're also, you know, tracking some companies like Space Perspective that are taking tourists up in a completely different way. And and we are looking at the, you know, how the parallels between the demographic that is, you know, going camping right now and camping under the stars versus, you know, going up in space perspective and camping Absolutely. within the stars. Yeah. And it's just, it's really interesting. And, and we are even looking at, you know, what it might be like to have, you know, our spaceports cater to that type of tourism and what it even might be like to see, you know, the gastronomy experience as you're, you know, kind of floating over different countries. You know, how can we kind of bring food or aerosolize those those uh, taste buds. <laughs> All right, so tell me what's next for Curiosity Report, like moving forward. <laughs> I know you just got this one We're done. Like, you want to take a deep breath? <laughs> no, but I mean, one of the things that you mentioned was technologies move so quickly yep. that I'm sure there are some challenges to doing you know, a report that's once a year. Right. Well, I mean, the whole purpose of the Curiosity Report is to kind of share, um, educate, and really get some ideas together for conversation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sharing it in an annual is really great until technology and information starts moving at day to day, yeah. hour to hour, minute to minute pace. Yeah. And so, you know, something we are looking at is how can we start to kind of voice our opinions and curiosities a little bit more frequently mm -hmm. um, throughout the year instead of, you know, one single annual report. Um, we still, you know, will have an annual, um, but we also, you know, are looking at other ways to um, kind of introduce that information because we also know that everyone is getting way more familiar with digital yeah, technologies sure. and yeah. how they want to take on their content. Um, so we're looking into a lot of different avenues. Side note, I love how you guys have done it online where it's like the page animation and it feels like- Shout I'm out actually, to Chelsea. Yeah, <laughs> it feels like I'm actually reading through a book. It makes it awesome. Um, well, thank you guys so much for joining us and kind of shedding a little bit of light. If you want to check out the Curiosity Report 2021, make sure you check out the links below. Also, as with all Square and Curious Conversation episodes this year, um, you're actually viewing a truncated view of the conversation. We have a the full unedited conversation that's available on an audio podcast. So make sure to check that out. And thank you for joining us.